All right. Romans chapter 12, and uh, we are uh, looking at Paul's big idea in the book of Romans as he is fleshing this out in his big idea. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the importance of that. Because as Paul would say to us, you know, humanity's greatest problem is their lostness. And their only solution to that problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches us. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us are righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul has been sharing and just kind of unpacking the gospel. And what is the gospel in the first 11 chapters of this of this book, and he is saying that, yeah, look, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he's the only one who can bring into the world and into the realm of humanity true hope, true peace, true love, and true joy. And those are the four corners of Advent, right? This is, this is anticipating the arrival of Jesus as he came into the world as the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, who is going to come to take away the sins of the world. Now, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a Savior. He's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming back in order to bring salvation. He's coming back in judgment over humanity who have rejected his salvation. So we are preparing the world, literally, you and I, for the second coming of Jesus. We want to introduce him to people his first arrival, and why that's so important, because what Paul says is, look, this is God's work for us, Jesus. The only way we are justified in God's eyes, that is, we are in a right standing with him, the only way we can have our sins forgiven is because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We can't work for salvation, we can't earn salvation, it is the free gift of God by grace through his son Jesus Christ, period. And once we receive that gift into our lives, the, God, the work that God has done for us, now he begins to work in us. He begins transforming us from the inside out so that he might ultimately work through us. And so as we come in this last section of Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 12 and following, he begins to unpack the practical aspects Here's how you take what God is doing in you and allow it to work through you. And the importance of allowing that to happen in all of the relationships we have. Whether it's our relationship with God, it's our relationship with one another as believers, or it's our relationship with those who are outside the kingdom of God. How are we to respond? How are we to, uh, to relate to those around us to bring the good news of Jesus into their lives? And so Paul begins teaching this practical aspect of being uh, in the body of Christ. So what I want to talk about today is we're kind of taking a side note here in Romans 12 to kind of look at your unique purpose because remember, we're answering the three questions. Who are you? Right? What is your identity? Where do you find your identity? Well, the Bible says we find our true identity in Christ and what God has made me to be determines what it is he intends for me to do and he intends for you to do. Who are we? Why are we here? These are basic questions people ask all the time. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Where do I find my security in life? Am I going to find it in things? Am I going to find it in relationships? And, and relationships can be here today and gone tomorrow. Things can be here today and gone tomorrow. No, it's rooted in the fact that I am secure in Christ. And God has made every single one of you a very unique and valuable person in the kingdom of God. There is something that God wants to do in you and through you as a kingdom citizen, as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And then the ultimate question, well, where am I going? Everybody wants to know they are significant. That is, when you draw your last breath, you want to know that your life counted, right? You didn't just retire at age 55 and walk around on, you know, the, the sands of Florida and collect seashells the rest of your life. Uh, that's not what I want to offer to Jesus when I in, in, end up in his presence, my seashell collection. Uh, what I do want to offer Jesus is, look, Lord, you gave me certain talents and abilities and a passion and giftedness and, and experiences, and you've made me, you have shaped me uniquely for the divine purpose you have called me to, and therefore I want to be a good steward of what it is you have called and prepared in advance for me to do. 
So that should be the yearning of all of our hearts, right? We, we stand before Jesus. He was God's ultimate gift to us, and now our gift back to him is to say, look, you shaped me. Everything I have ultimately came from you, but now I'm giving this back to you as a living sacrifice. I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice to be holy and pleasing to you. This is my spiritual act of worship. And Paul's going to say, hey, I want to help you find your unique place in the body of Christ. So what, how do you do that? What are the steps necessary? And Paul gives it to us here in Romans chapter 12. Here's the first one is you have to dedicate your body. He says, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, notice he doesn't say dedicate your time. He doesn't say dedicate um, your, your life. He says dedicate your body. And that is, in other words, one of the prayers that I pray every Sunday morning before I ever step on this platform in my office is, first of all, I put on the spiritual armor of God, and then I say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm just a channel for you to use. I'm, I dedicate to you my ears, my mouth, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my heart, I give you my body because when God has your body, he has everything. God doesn't just want your head, your intellectual knowledge. God doesn't just want your heart, but he also wants your hands. And so what Paul is saying is every single day when I rise up and I begin my day by dedicating my body to Christ, by dedicating my body to the Lord, I am in essence saying, God, I am all in with you. I am absolutely, totally committed to you. And therefore, all that I am, all that I possess, I yield it over to you. Now show me what it is you want me to do today. In fact, this is the pattern that Jesus taught us when he taught his disciples how to pray. Members and disciples said, Lord, how, how do we pray? And Jesus gave them a little insight into his own personal prayer life. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. And it's not for us just to recite the words back to God. God gave us a fourfold pattern for prayer. And the first was that of reverence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, if you look at the prayers of the prophets, if you look at the prayers of the New Testament saints, they always begin with reverence to God. They display who God is because whatever it is I'm going to face throughout the course of my day, I just know now that God is bigger than anything that I could ever face in life. And so I, I have a perfect a, a perspective of God that says, you know, God, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, and, and the attributes of God, you see it all through the scripture, and you just... Confirm those back to the Lord, reminding you who he is. And then after there is reverence, there is response. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, now I am surrendering myself to the will of God. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Whatever that is, whatever that might entail, I, I'm, I'm offering a response to God and letting him know I am all in. I am offering my body up as a living sacrifice. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now you're making requests. So it's like reverence, response, let's make a cross. Requests, those requests surround responsibilities or resources and, and people, right? Relationships. This is what Jesus said. We pray about those things and then there is a readiness and, and the readiness delivers from you know, delivers from the evil one. Prepare me for spiritual battle. Every single day when you leave your house, you are entering into a spiritual war. And if we are going to display the life of Christ through our lives, how do you respond when somebody you work with, you know, says something derogatory to you or is on your one last nerve or, you know, who is always looking to pick a fight or whatever it might be, how am I going to respond? Well, you only have one of two ways to respond in life. You respond according to the flesh or you, you respond according to the spirit. And I can tell you, if I'm not spiritually prepared for the day, I will probably respond to the flesh. The same thing in your relationship with your, your wife or your husband. Right? If you've not prepared yourself adequately spiritually for the day, you probably not going to respond in ways that are, that, are, that are appropriate at that particular time. 
So Jesus and Paul challenges us every day. Hey, let's dedicate our bodies to Christ. Number two is to eliminate distractions. He says in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so he says, dedicate your life totally to God, your body, and then there's going to be some things you're going to have to eliminate from your schedule. In other words, if I'm going to serve God in the world, then uh, I can't just keep adding things to my schedule. Here's the biggest pushback we get. If you ask somebody to, to serve in the church or ask them to do something, it's like, well, I, ju I just can't add one more thing to my schedule. Look, we are all busy. I get that. I understand that. My schedule is just as packed as your schedule. But the question is, am I scheduling the right things? In other words, I know we all have to work. We have family responsibilities. You, many of you have children at home. You have those responsibilities. We have priorities in our lives, but sometimes we have to step back and look at where our priorities lie. I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and simply say to the Lord, well, Lord, someday I was going to do that. Right? So Satan will supply you with some days for the rest of your life. Well, I really wanted to serve, Lord, but I just couldn't fit it in my schedule. But someday I'll get, I'll get to that, and someday will never come. So you can't burn the candle at both ends, or you won't be as bright as you think you are. We have to say, okay, Lord, I want you to, my days are numbered. I, I want you to help me to appropriate the time that I have in the most powerful and effective way that I can in order to impact the world in which I live. In other words, I have to move from being, um, I have to move from being selfish to selfless. We all have a natural bent to be selfish over our time and over our things. But how do I move out of selfishness to selflessness so that I open up the avenue by which God um, allows me to serve. So, for example, if you felt God calling you or laying on your heart to serve in some area, could you do it or would you do it? Or would the excuse be, well, I, I just don't have the time. And we all, time, listen, is the most precious commodity in our lives. Amen? It, is just, it just is. If I'm willing to give you an hour of my time, I've just given you something that I'll never get back. And so when we challenge people, you know, and God challenges us to, to serve, and we say, I don't have time, let me just give you one single challenge. For the next week, I want you to time yourself with a timer every time you're on social media and tell me how much time you spent during the week on social media. I think most of you would be quite surprised the number of hours we spend mindlessly scrolling through our phones on social media which will have absolutely no eternal impact on anybody's life. That God has called us to do just that, to have eternal impact. Number three, you've got to evaluate your strengths. In verse three, he says, For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Now remember that that word sober means to have to make a realistic appraisal of yourself. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. And if you don't have any weaknesses, stop lying to yourself. And I can assure you, people can point them out to you. We all have strengths and weaknesses. So what Paul is saying is, don't go to one of the two extremes. And the, the one or two extremes is, well, you know, I am, uh, I am just indispensable. Man, you know, the world can't survive without me. Or do you want to go the other opposite extremes as well? I'm just absolutely worthless. God can't use me. I have no gifts or talents or abilities. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, just, you know just, I'm just barely making it. And God can never use me in any capacity. Neither one of those things are true. If you think you're indispensable in life, if you think you're indispensable at your job, just quit it. Guarantee you, they'll replace you with somebody else. Or as I say, take a bucket of water, plunge your fist in it, pull it out, rapidly, and whatever hole is left, that's how indispensable you are. Look, we all are going to pass away from this earth, but guess what? This world does not stop. It doesn't stop moving. God's kingdom doesn't, 
come to a screeching halt because you left planet Earth. We are all, none of us are indispensable, but God does want to use you in very powerful ways. So humility is not downgrading yourself. Humility is understanding and taking a look, a, a look. So we call your shape, your ministry profile. There are copies on the table in the foyer. You need to get one so you can fill it out. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about the rest of it in the coming weeks. But um, by and large, God has given you spiritual, supernatural abilities to accomplish certain things that he wants you to accomplish. God's given you passions and a heart for certain things, certain age groups or certain ministries or whatever you're passionate about. He's given you natural abilities. He's given you a personality that is unique to you. He's given you experiences, spiritual and ministry and painful and mountaintop, a whole variety of experiences that helps you understand how God has uniquely shaped you and for what it is he's calling you to do. And so Jesus, listen, he didn't die for junk. He died for us, all of us, because we have a place in the kingdom of God. And so be honest about your strengths and weaknesses. The Apostle Paul did that. At one time he goes, I'm the chief of sinners. But then at other times he would say, hey, follow me. Watch what I do and follow me. So he knew he had strengths. He knew he had weaknesses. He was honest about those things. But God can use even our weaknesses as well as our strengths. Here's the next step. Cooperate with other believers. He says we're all part just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, you have a very unique and valuable function in the body of Christ. So here's one of the things that we say here at our church, and one of the things we teach in class 301, which is discovering my ministry, and here they are. Every member is a minister. Not every member here is a pastor, but every member is a minister. You're just as much as a, as a minister as I am. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, you know, was started many, many years ago was the separation of clergy and laity. Listen, we're all ministers. We just have different roles and functions. And as a minister of Jesus Christ, your ministry is just as important as mine because we minister in three directions. We minister to the Lord we minister to one another, and we minister to those who are outside the walls of this church. We minister in three, in three needs, physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs. All of us have been called to minister in all three directions and among all three needs. And so there are four fields that God has placed you in. Where you live, right, your immediate family, your neighborhood, um, your apartment, where you might live, where you work your office or, you know, your business contacts, where you learn, where you go to school or where your children go to school, your hobbies, right? And, and there's, those are many. God gives us opportunities. Those are, are our fields of influence. Most of you think, well, I don't have influence over anyone. You would be shocked as to how many. In fact, it is estimated by secular society and, and those who are you know, into that kind of uh, um, figuring out how much influence we have. It is estimated that you have influence over more than a thousand people if you really sat down and really began looking at your fields of influence and how that begins to, to uh, filter its way out. You influence far more people than you, than you understand. Number two, every believer has a different function. You know, the head can't say to the foot that I don't need you, and the head can't say to the liver I don't need you. We can't all do the same thing, right? There are hundreds of moving parts in this church, most of that behind the scenes. And it takes all kinds of different people keeping those moving parts going. And that's why every, every person has a unique function. Where you work, where, where your fields of influence are, you have a unique function. And therefore, uh, God has equipped you for that. He has shaped you for that specific place. And what happens when we begin functioning outside of what we have been shaped to do, the chaos ensues. For example, when I felt the call of God on me, you know, I was, I was working as a commercial pipe fitter, 
And as I felt the God of calling me to go in, in full-time ministry, I quit my job I, and I started school, started college. And people would ask me all the time, well, what ministry are you going into? I don't have a clue. I don't know. I'm just, I just believe God's called me. So I, I experimented. Right? So while I was in college, I worked with youth. I found out that wasn't me because I wanted to kill them. Uh, it's just like it, they're on my one last nerve. I, I tried other things. I, you know, I tried overseeing the education department of a church. I tried you know, evangelism. I tried a lot of different things until I, I found my unique function or my unique niche. And so that's what I operate in. And when I'm operating in what God has shaped me to be and to do, then there is fruitfulness and there is fulfillment. But if I try to function in an area I'm not shaped to perform in, then all I get is frustrated and fatigued. Does that make sense? Like you, you're trying and trying, it's just not working for you. Great, you understand what doesn't work, what your shape is not about, so move on to something else and discover where God has created you for your sweet spot, whatever that is. Number three, every ministry is important. Again, the hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. We're interdependent, uh, Paul says. Every ministry is important because every ministry is significant. Some people, sometimes people get down on themselves and go, oh, I, I, we start comparing ourselves, right? We go, oh, I wish I could sing. Oh, I wish I could get up on stage and just lead people in worship. Oh, that would just, that would be so incredible. The problem is like, you know, like for me, I, I, I don't sing well. I, I told them this morning, Heather thought, well, I hope Carissa shows up because otherwise, Pastor, you're going to have to help me this morning. I said, well, just hit every key because I'm going to hit them all anyways, so it doesn't matter. That's not, you know, God cut me out to be a singer, but somebody sewed me up wrong, and it just doesn't work well. So that's not my, but you can, you can begin comparing yourselves to others and thinking, well, my ministry just isn't that important. Oh, yes, it is. It is absolutely, there are no unimportant ministries in this church. And here's the last one. Every member belongs to the other. We Listen, we all are a part of the body of Christ, and when the body malfunctions, the rest of the body is hurting. You cannot just keep receiving without giving something back. Because if you do, it, stumps, it stunts the growth of the body of Christ. The only way this church is going to grow and reach people is that all of us are functioning in our unique shapeness. Because we are all, listen, there's no one person who can do it all. No one. No one's that gifted. Nobody's that good. It takes all of us collectively working together in order to accomplish what it is God has called us to do, which is what? To go and make disciples. That is our calling. That is our mission. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to come up with some, you know, alternative strategy about that. Jesus says, here is the mission, and Jesus even gave us the strategy by which we can fulfill the mission. But it requires all of us functioning in the area of our unique shape in order for it to happen. Otherwise, a third of the people, you know the 80-20 principle called the Preto principle, you know, 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work. It's like when you have people come over to your house for Thanksgiving dinner, 20% of those folks ate 80% of the food. And only 20% of you, you know, actually fixed the food. So uh, it works that same way in, in churches, is that oftentimes 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. God says we've all been uniquely gifted and shaped in order to function in the body of Christ so that we might build one another up, build up the body of Christ, extend the kingdom of God, and to discover how we experience fruitfulness and fulfillment. Number five is to activate your spiritual gifts. He goes on to say, and these are what we call uh, motivational gifts, seven motivational gifts that he gives to us. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. The man's gift is prophesying. Let him use it in pro proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So just as you were born into this world physically and God endowed you with certain natural talents and abilities, 
When you were born again into the kingdom of God, God gave you spiritual gifts, supernatural abilities in order to accomplish the work of God here on planet Earth. All right, so it is uh, behooving to each of us to discover what is my giftedness. What are the gifts that God has given to me? So we are examining the gifts because I want you to see what they are and say and ask yourself the question, well, is this me? Is this kind of like, and, and just write that down. If you look on the ministry profile, it's got a space where you can write that. Again, if you don't have one, you can pick one up. There's extra copies inside your bulletin. I'm giving you each week the list of the gifts, the kind of an explanation, so you can go over that on your own and ask yourself, you know, is this me? Does it sound like me? Is this kind of what, what I find in my life? And I'll talk a little bit more about how to discover your gifts. Some of you have taken spiritual gifts tests where it's a questionnaire and it kind of helps you flesh out what your giftedness is. And, and those are helpful to a degree, but they're not, I think, uh, I think the best way to discover your gift is actually engaging in ministry. Right? Engage in ministry. Don't try to figure out your gift and then get into ministry. Get into ministry and God will flesh out the giftedness that you have. Um, and, but that's my biased opinion, okay? So, uh, whew, I'm, I'm moving, Jimmy. When Christians serve, <laughs> when, when Christians serve in their area of giftedness, one of the things that happens is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon your life. See, the Holy Spirit gave you these gifts. It is his divine enablement in your life to do things that are supernatural. These are not things that we can do in our own strength. They're not things that we can do in our own power. I do not have the strength or the power or the ability to build the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit does. And since the Holy Spirit indwells us and has given us these grace gifts, Therefore, you, he has enabled you to function in a supernatural way. And so we want to help you understand what that is so that God can use you in, in this, this incredible way because he says, look, we are God's workmanship. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That word prepared is a visual word. It means to set a bone, like a doctor setting a broken bone. God has not called us to supernaturally set broken physical bones, but here's what I know. Broken people come to churches. People who have broken lives, who have broken hearts, who have broken dreams, who have broken homes, and God has called us to supernaturally help to reset them back to God's original intent for their lives. That we can bring not just salvation, but we can bring healing in their lives. That we can bring hope back into their lives. That we can bring deliverance into their lives. And I think that we do a disservice if we only think about the gospel in terms of salvation, that is somebody coming to faith in Christ and knowing and securing their place in heaven, that is a part of the gospel, but it's not all the gospel. That is the part of the gospel that takes care of our past, but then there's the part of the gospel that takes care of our present situation and our future hopes and dreams, and God has called us to display the gospel in all three areas. I've been asked by our state convention to give the keynote address at our annual convention next year, and this is my message. We as Southern Baptists are really high and good on salvation, that aspect of the gospel, but then once people get saved, we often drop the ball in their lives, and they're struggling with the, the sins that, that so beset them, and the brokenness, and the the coping mechanisms, and they, they try in their own to, to find healing and deliverance from those things, only to find themselves right back into the same scenario and situations, and they feel this, 
an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and condemnation that Satan heaps on them. And so we just kind of try to help people stay busy. You know, well, well, get involved in this and serve over here and do this. And, and that'll kind of alleviate all of the, the bad stuff that's going on inside of you. And we tend to negate the power of the gospel to bring healing and hope and restoration back into a person's broken life. I think we shortchange the gospel. There are things that we can do and ministries we can engage in that help people find that healing that they're looking for. And so let me give you five reasons really quick about why you need to develop your spiritual gifts. One is for direction and purpose in life. Paul says now about spiritual gifts, brothers, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I do not want you to be ignorant. That word ignorant doesn't mean to be unintelligent or naive. Paul is simply saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to miss out on the wonderful gifts that God has given to you and, and thus miss the direction and the purpose for which God has created you. Number two, freedom to embrace and enjoy who you are. Listen, I want you to function as God has created you to be, not as he's not created you to be. Right? Sometimes... You know, for example, when I first started preaching, I'm like, well, you know, I really like this preacher and I really like this guy. And you start trying to emulate somebody else. But then it, it's like, I remember I talked about David and the Saul's armor. It just doesn't fit and it's not comfortable and it doesn't work well. You have to be who God has made you to be. God's not called me to be a Billy Graham. All right? that, that's not my gifting. That's not my calling. All I want to do is do what God's shaped me to do. Therefore, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I know that I've done everything in my power to fulfill God's calling on my life as he created me to be, not somebody else. Does that make sense? Amen. We good? All right. All right. Joy. Number three, joy that results from impacting lives. Joy comes from the word the word gifts comes from the Greek word charismata, which we get the word grace, charis, which we get the word joy, car. So grace, gifts, and joy all come from the same Greek word. And so when you operate and function in God's giftedness in your life, it is what brings immense joy into your life. Because we, we, we oftentimes try to find joy from through so many different avenues and through so many different things, and, and we're just chasing one rabbit after another, only to find out that's, that's just not doing it for me. But, but when you function as God has, has shaped you to function, then all those things begin to come together, and we want you to be participators and not just observers. Someone has said there are three kinds of people in every church, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who don't even know anything is happening. We don't want you to be that person. Right? We want you to be engaged and involved. Number four, affirmation of your victory with Christ. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he, this passage was talking about Jesus' victory over sin and death and, and uh, Satan. And he says, and the evidences of that is that he gave gifts to men. He goes on in verse 8. And so when you and I function in our gift in this, watch this, we are functioning in the victory of Christ. We are co-heirs with him. We are co-laborers with him. And therefore, when I am allowing God to use his spiritual, Holy Spirit, divine enablement in my life and you in your life, listen, the gates of hell cannot stop you. They just can't. Because God is unfolding his divine plan and his will here on planet earth. And he uses all of us in order to do that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how does God get his will done here on earth? Through his people. So let God use you. Number five, accountability as you will be held responsible for stewardship of your gift. Again, you know, when we leave this world, there's coming the point where we have to stand at the beam of seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, not being judged on salvation, but being judged upon our service. What did we do with what God has given to us? 
We can't just say, well, you know, Lord, I, I just didn't think I had much, and I, I didn't have much to offer, and you're like the, you know, the parable of the talents, and I just kind of buried it all and just, you know, trying to get through life the best I could. That's not God's calling on your life. That's not God's equipping on your life. I'm telling you, you are far more valuable than that. God will say, listen, I've entrusted you with X amount of time, wealth, energy, spiritual gifts. What did you do with them? And Jesus says, you will be rewarded for how you spent that time, your energy, your wealth, your giftedness, and where you served. So how do we do this? We examine the gifts. So last week we talked about the seven motivational gifts, and this week we're going to talk about the seven um, ministry gifts, and if you've got that sheet inside of your outline. So I, I want to kind of distinguish your motivational gifts. I think every person has at least one of the seven motivational gifts. And those motivational gifts then are uh, fleshed out in ministry. In other words, you don't just have one gift. I can assure you have more than one. So for example, I have the gift of teaching. That is my dominant motivational gift. But in ministry, it's, it's the, the way that gets fleshed out is not just standing in the pulpit. Uh, my, one of my ministry gifts is wisdom. And wisdom is, is being able to take God's word and to explain it to people in a way that is understandable, that is applicable to their specific need. So the way that part of the giftedness fleshes itself out is not just uh, publicly as I preach publicly or as I teach, uh, you know, in a college or, um, you know, other pastors, but one-on-one. -on -one. So if somebody comes to me uh, with a need, and it's like um, a person with a gift of wisdom, it's kind of like you ever went fishing and your line got tangled up and you tried to untangle it and then you just got a big ball of line. And it's like all intertwined and you're trying to untangle it all. Well, that's how life can become sometimes. You know, life is just not easy, and it gets just all balled up and tangled up. And somebody with a, a teaching ability with a gift of wisdom can, can um, minister to you by saying, hey, let me show you in God's Word how we can untangle the line in your life and, and how you can kind of step one, two, three, because this is what teachers think, right, is we're kind of like analytical. Step one, two, three, four, let's start unpacking, let's start unraveling the, the ball of twine in your life and here's how it applies. Now, see, one of the ministry things I don't have is mercy. If you're looking for a guy of mercy, I'm not your man. Like, if, you, if I come to visit you in the hospital, don't expect a lot of mercy from me, and you're not going to get it. So if you come to me for counseling, don't expect a lot of mercy from you. I'm going to say, all right, your life is a ball of twine. That's fine and well. Let's get it untangled. And don't give me excuses as to why you can't do that, because you can't. So uh, I'm not going to have, you know, I'm going to have a lot of mercy on you. If I find that I'm spending time with you and I'm giving you my, one of my most precious commodities and you're not doing it, then we're done. Okay, I just not, I don't have the gift of, now people the gift of mercy, they go, oh, you poor soul. I, you know, they'd be patting you on the head. And I'm not your guy. I'm just telling you. All right, so these get fleshed out and then, the manifestation gifts, which are the most controversial, we'll talk about next Sunday, is that these are the ways that the Holy Spirit takes the effect of your giftedness as you, and, and how it benefits the, the recipients of those that you're ministering to. So let's look at these ministry gifts. Apostleship. It's the divine ability to start churches and oversee their development, ability to minister cross-culturally with the goal of planting churches uh, I would also say this is not just limited to church planters. Now, there's a difference between the office of an apostle and the giftedness of apostleship. Now, the 12 apostles, right, they were, you had to be, one of the things, you had to, have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus to have the office of an apostle. And apostle Paul did what? He saw resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. All right, so he's not talking about the, an office of apostle. He's talking about the gift of apostleship. These are kind of like your entrepreneurs in ministry. Like, they love to take risks. They love to be a part of building something new. But it, again, but it's not limited to a church planter, right? So 
It might be that God lays on your heart, hey, we really need a ministry in our church to unwed mothers. God lays that on your heart. And if you have this gift, it's like you're, you're it, man. Like you're the one who's going to take that up that mantle and you're going to start organizing this thing. You're going to start pulling people in to help you with that ministry. And that's just going to be the passion of your heart because you love to start new things. You love to be involved in new things. And so here are some of the characteristics. You're driven to start new endeavors for God, whether it be churches or ministries. Uh, you love, welcome, you welcome uh, new challenges. Like you love to take risks. Some of you hate risk-taking, right? Would you admit that? How many of you admit that? I don't like to take risks. All right, so that's not God's gifting on you. It's not your personality, perhaps. Uh, you're just not a risk-taker, and so that's fine. Not everybody is. You enjoy making a difference in the lives of believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, you're willing to work hard to see the church reach its full potential for God. And so um, oftentimes people who feel the call of God, for example, go into church planting, uh, they have this giftedness on their life. Uh, number two is evangelism. The ability to be an unusually effective instrument in leading believers to a saving knowledge of Christ. And some use this gift are most effective in personal evangelism, while others may be used by God in group evangelism or cross-cultural evangelism. I give you two examples. I have a friend, Don Witt, who used to be our evangelism director for our state. Prior to that, he was a pastor and in full-time evangelism. Did that, now back in full-time evangelism. Don's been here, he's preached revival for us a couple of times. Um, Don is one of those guys who loves big evangelistic events. And, like, I could preach that same event, and I might see some people saved, but if Don does it, there, there's going to be hundreds. I mean, those with this gift just know how to draw the net. And God has gifted them in that way. Sometimes on a large scale, sometimes on a small scale. I had a personal friend, his name was Jeff Perkins, and uh, Jeff was actually a worship pastor. And uh, Jeff died about five or six years ago of melanoma, and uh, was a personal friend of mine. We, 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 tried, we ministered together at times. But Jeff was just an incredible evangelist one-on-one -on -one with people. I mean, that, this guy, we could be in the movie theater. he just know how to walk up to somebody and who to walk up to, engage them in a conversation. Next thing you know, they're on their knees praying to receive Jesus. I used to tease him because I used to say, you know what? I think that you could do a business meeting and give a, a boring report at a business meeting, have five people saved that night. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But that's just the, that's just the way these individuals are, whether male or female, who have this giftedness that you look for ways to build emotional bridges with non-believers because you have such a heart and a passion for those who are unsaved. And it just burdens you all the time. It's, it's a weight that you carry with you, and you're constantly looking for ways to build those bridges. And you sense, you, these people sense uh, openness uh, to Christ in somebody's life. They can just engage in a conversation, and within five minutes, they pretty much know this person's pretty close to being a Christian, or they really don't want anything to do with it. And, and then they know how to kind of bridge that gap. Uh, most likely, if you have this gift, You've led a lot of people to Jesus. You just have because they just, this is their giftedness. This is just what they, they do. And they're, again, deeply burdened by those who don't know Christ. The next one, pastor. And the verses I'm giving you is um, kind of a, a verse that you could go to and look up and how this is fleshed out. A person with this spiritual gift has the ability to lead, nourish, protect, personally care for the needs of the flock of believers. Not all people with this office of pastor, elder, overseer have or need the gift of pastoring or shepherding, and many with this gift do not have or need the, the office. In other words, if, if, you, if you decide discover this is your gifting, doesn't mean you have to be a pastor, right? Most pastors, this is not their dominant gift. It's not my dominant gift. Most pastors, it is not. This isn't about pastoring a church. It's about caring and nurturing a group of people. It can be a small group. It can be a triad. Uh, it, it could even be one-on-one. -on -one. But you just have the ability to, to protect and lead and guide and feed an individual or individuals because your desire is to see them grow in the faith. Right? Your evangelists are going to get them saved, you're going to be the person to kind of help sanctify them, right? You're going to help them grow 
in the faith in Christ. And so you're driven to help others to fulfill their potential in Christ. You enjoy serving others and looking for opportunities to do that. Uh, you're good at developing personal trust-based relationships with a small group of people. You believe that people take precedence over projects. So you're people-oriented. You're people-driven. Projects are really not that interesting to you, but people are. That's the heart of a pastor. The next one helps. Uh, the divine ability to enhance the effectiveness of ministry of others, members in the body of Christ. This is the only use of this word in the New Testament. It appears to be distinct from the gift of service, which we talked about last week. Some writers suggest that while the gift of service is more group-oriented, the gift of helps is more person-oriented. And so characteristics, you enjoy and seek out ways to serve people behind the scenes. Right? You very much like to be behind the scenes. You rejoice in the success of others. You want to help people become successful, whatever that is. You're detail-oriented. You look for ways to be an assistant to others. And you just really don't seek recognition for your efforts. Right? You're not going to go around and tell it, well, you know, I, last week I met with four people, and now let me just tell you what all we did. You know, no, you're, you're just not going to do that. You, you are, you are person-oriented. You're person-focused. You're not looking for accolades from others about what you do. You just want to help them to become and to reach their full potential in Christ. Administration. Uh, this word, like helps, appears only once in the New Testament. It's used outside of Scripture as a helmsman to steer a ship to its destination. It suggests that the spiritual gift of administration is the ability to steer a church or Christian organization toward the fulfillment of its goals by managing its affairs and implementing necessary plans. A person may have the gift of leadership without the gift of administration. So the gift of leadership asks the question, what needs to be done? People with the gift of leadership are visionaries. People with the gift of administration, they are implementers. Like, I'm a visionary. I, I, can, I can envision a lot of things. But if you ask me, well, how are you going to get that vision done? I ain't got a clue. That's why I need to bring around me who? An administrator. An administrator can say, well, here's how we're going to break this down. Here's how we're going to reach this goal. And administrators, the lovely thing about them, they can juggle 15 plates at one time. Does not stress them out. For some of you, you know that if you have three things to do, you're stressed out about that. Administrators, not so much. And so here's some of their characteristics as they are effective organizers of people and projects in reaching ministry goals. They're known for having specific plans to achieve clearly defined goals. They naturally delegate tasks, making it possible to accomplish more for God's kingdom. They seek decision-making opportunities, and they understand what needs to be done for dreams or visions to become a reality. Now, who in this church has that gift? Barb does, right? She is an administrator. That is her gift. Uh, she can take things. She can juggle plates. It's, it's just she doesn't break a sweat doing that. For me, I, I'm more like I, I, I can focus real intently on one thing, but don't give me multiple things. And once that one thing's done, then I can move to the next thing. Then I can move to the next thing. People with the gift of administration, they can juggle all three at the same time. Not a stretch. Now, uh, wisdom. The ability to apply, I'm just about done. Ability to apply the principles of the Word of God in a practical way to specific situations and recommend the best course of action at the best time. The exercise of this gift skillfully distills insight and discernment into excellent advice. It's kind of what I just talk to you about the ball of string. They can help you sort things out, take the Word of God, and apply it logically and specifically to your need or your question. These people who have this gift, uh, uh, they can speak biblical insight to life situations. They often have memorized a lot of scripture that they draw from. They're sought out after for advice and wisdom. They take pleasure in counseling others. They're known for making correct decisions and judgments. Hospitality, the ability to make others, especially strangers, feel warmly welcome, accepted and comfortable in the church family. The ability to coordinate factors and promote fellowship. 
So they're known for making those around them to feel valued and cared for. If you've ever walked into the home of somebody with a gift of hospitality, they immediately make you feel like your family, right? And it's not draining for them to have a lot of people over at their house. If you don't have this gift and you're kind of an introvert, people drain you. They don't, they don't enhance, you know, they don't get you ramped up. But if you have this gift, then people, you know, well, you got more, the more people coming over, the better. Come on, yeah, come on. Oh, you need any room for the night? Yeah, we got room. Yeah. This is what people with the gift of hospitality do. They just, this is their gift. This is their calling. It's their passion. And they love to promote fellowship among the body of Christ. And they see their home as a prop, God's property given to them expressly to make others feel welcome. Now, if you look at those gifts this week and you just kind of contemplate and say, God, what, are, what is my gift? What is my motivational gift? It's one of these seven a ministry gift that you have given to me. So you, you begin by examining the gifts. You experiment with these gifts. And when you experiment with a gift, what I mean by that, it's easier to discover your gift while doing ministry than trying to discover your gift and then do ministry. All right? So God will help flesh this out. In other words, don't sit back and say, well, I would, start, I would get involved in something, but I just don't know what my gift is. Great. Get started in something, and God will bring it to you. He's going to reveal it. He's going to show you your sweet spot. And lastly, exercise by, giving or by developing and sharpening your gift. Whatever your gift is, you want to develop it. You want to sharpen it, right? You want to, you want to constantly work on making it better. So I close with this illustration, because if I get done before quarter till, I've got money coming to Lottie Moon. There was a professor with a very large class in a college, and here's what the instructions he gave to them. He says, I'm giving every one of you a balloon. I want you to blow it up, write your name on it with this marker, and put it in the hallway. All of those students did that. The hallway was filled with the balloons. The instructor walks out into the hallway, and he mixes up all the balloons. He comes back into the classroom, and he says, you've got five minutes to find your balloon. He sent them all out into the hallway. In five minutes, not one single person found their own balloon. So this time around, he did something a little bit different. He says, I'm telling you what I want you to do this time. I'm giving you five minutes. I want you to go out into the hallway, grab the first balloon you find, and take it to the person it belongs to. And in five minutes, every single person had their own balloon in their hands. His point to his students were this. If you really want to be happy in life, you'll never find it just by looking for your own personal happiness. It will be found when you start finding it for other people. I simply turn that around to say, if you want to find fruitfulness and fulfillment in your life, it's not going to be found by just sitting back and letting others serve you. It will happen when you begin to participate and you start serving others. Then you will find the very things you've been looking for. Let's bow our heads.